on today's The Earth is a Ball, I will be joined yet again by Mr. NBA, Tyler Conrad. We will be going over the chaos that has ensued in free agency over the past week and what it means for the NBA going forward. I will also be joined by the strong opinionated MLB expert, John Pease, and we will be talking about All-Star Weekend and give our most shocking thing about the first half of the baseball season. So without waiting any longer, let's get right into it. Our first guest on today's show is the host of the college football show Inside the Zone and is now a recurring guest on the podcast. He also knows a thing or two about the NBA. I would like to welcome back Tyler Conrad. Ty, how are you holding up right now? I know it's been a crazy few days. It has been a crazy past few days, crazy past week, but I'm good. Let's get it started. Well, why don't we start off with the thing that has been on everybody's mind since the start of the week. The NBA Summer League has just no, – no, I'm just kidding. Uh, there's been a lot of free agent signings, Tyler. And, uh, Man, that was a knee slapper. You got me there. Yeah, I know. I've been planning that one for a little bit. Summer League's interesting, but free agency, definitely a lot more interesting, especially to the people at home. All right, so why don't we start with the first guy who signed, and it came out before Sunday night when everybody started signing was Kemba Walker going to the Celtics. It was a sign-and-trade with the Hornets, Terry Rozier going to Charlotte, but Kemba Walker going to the Celtics, staying in the Eastern Conference. What were your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it was a great move because the only other place he could have potentially went was the Lakers on a very, very limited roster where he definitely wasn't going to win now that we see the outcome of free agency and Kawhi and Paul George. Or he could have went to the Mavericks, who don't have a lot of talent now because the Western Conference is literally stacked. Or he could have went, stayed with the Hornets, and they potentially have the worst roster in the NBA. The only other team that I can say has a worse roster right now is the Thunder, but they have Russell Westbrook still. Or he could have went to the Celtics, which was the smartest move. He's got a young core around him. He's got Ennis Kanter at center. They got rid of Aaron Baines. He's got a decent bench with Marcus Smart coming off the bench. So I think I think the Celtics was his best decision. But Tyler, how do you see Kemba filling in the void left by Kyrie Irving? Do you see him as pretty much the same player? Or do you think Kemba's going to provide a little extra to the Boston Celtics, a little more than what Kyrie did in the last couple of years? Well, I mean, on the floor, I think he's definitely – we haven't – the ball in his hands because he's been such a centerpiece for the Hornets organization. And, you know, he's been that guy who can drop 50, drop 60 – not every night, but once in a while. And he's going to get you pretty much 30 to 35 every single night, primarily because he's literally the only scorer on your roster. So I want to see how he does off the ball. Because, you know, at UConn, he was a primary scorer. He won the Big East there, obviously. So I just would love to see how he plays off the ball. He's definitely going to be a better locker room fit than Kyrie Irving. Because obviously, as we saw in Boston, when the Celtics didn't have Kyrie and they were in the playoffs, they literally were one win away from making the finals without Kyrie. So, I mean, I think... The sky's the limit for the Celtics roster. I don't think they're as talented as a lot of teams in the East, like the Bucks and the Sixers. But I think, you know, down the line, maybe two years in or three years in, they could add another piece, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, obviously mature and get better. I think the Celtics, you know, the sky's the limit for them. Now, obviously Kyrie Irving not on the Celtics anymore. Going to the Brooklyn Nets with Kevin Durant. That was something a lot of people thought they were going to team up as a part of the New York Knicks or even the Los Angeles Clippers, but 
the Brooklyn Nets. When you saw that report, what was the first thing that came to your mind? I mean, it made sense because I knew for a fact Kyrie was going to Brooklyn because every single report ever, ever, it was, you know, the Lakers or the Nets early, earlier in the reporting stages. And then it was, you know, Kyrie's in New York. He's loving it. And then it was Kyrie's going to the Nets. Kyrie's going to the Nets. And then with KD's situation, at first it was, all right, he's going to the Knicks. And then he got injured. And then it's like, okay, is he going to sign back with Golden State, get the guaranteed money? Is he... You know, going to go to the Nets, going to go to the Knicks. And it was kind of all up in the air. So when I saw that he went with to co-star with Kyrie in Brooklyn, I was I was shocked because I thought he was going to go to the Knicks. But I wasn't, like, dumbfounded, like, you know, when I got the news from Paul George and Kawhi. I was shocked, but I wasn't, I wasn't you know, oh, my gosh, how is this happening? What are we going to do? I was kind of interested to see the reports come out that the Knicks didn't even offer Kevin Durant a full max contract because they were so concerned about his interest, his injury. That was shocking. So, and then they go, I mean, $151 million on the most irrelevant, I guess, quartet or so players that they're going to have for two years and do absolutely nothing for them. Well, we might get into that a little bit later, but I mean, Kevin Durant, not going to be around the first year, but, after this year, Kyrie's going to take the reins to the team the first year. And then we get to see Kyrie and KD together. So the Eastern Conference is really wide open next year because you got to think with KD and Kyrie on the same team, it's basically like, not basically like LeBron and Kyrie earlier in their careers, but it's got to be something close. And they have to be the front runners for, those, for that conference when they're both at full strength and on the on the floor at the same time. I mean, I agree with you, but I don't know if they're the front runners most likely because the Sixers have basically four years rat locked up of Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, and Al Horford. And I think by I think they're going to mesh perfectly fine in say six months when Al Horford gets with the system and he gets rolling. And especially with that team with that depth that they have, I mean, they don't have a lot of money now, obviously, because they offered Ben Simmons. Did they, I'm pretty sure they offered Ben Simmons close to the max, if not. They the offered max, him but... the max rookie contract, five years, $170 million, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think that when you have all those four guys, especially that can play well together, I think they could definitely make a playoff run. So, you know, the next – after this year, it'll be interesting to see how the East pans out with Giannis and the Bucks, you know, the, the Sixers quartet, and then the Nets duo. Now, you brought up the Sixers signing Al Horford. They traded away Jimmy Butler to get Josh Richardson in return. I think the Sixers played that very well, and I was very happy with the success of the Sixers in free agency so far. But why don't we move to the big headline that came out? Was it Saturday night, Sunday morning of this week, 2 a.m. Eastern time, Kawhi Leonard signing with the Clippers on the max contract, and then 30 seconds later, the Clippers traded for Mr. Paul George from the Oklahoma City Thunder, where the Thunder got five first-round picks, one of them being protected, and two pick swaps, not to mention the rising star of Shy Gilgis Alexander and Danilo Gallinari. Yeah, I mean, I was literally dumbfounded. I was, First of all, I fell asleep early that night, so I didn't 
I didn't hear the news because I was sick. So I, I went to sleep, woke up at around 4.30 a.m. to go take some medicine. And I'm on my phone and I see that and I, I just was shook for about five minutes and just stood in, in shock. And, you know, kudos to Jerry West for pulling off one of in the most unseen moves in the NBA because, you know, at first when the Kawhi reports were coming out earlier in the season, it was Clippers, Clippers, Clippers. Then it was, okay, he's either going to re-sign with the Raptors once they won the finals or he was going to sign with the Lakers with LeBron and AD. And basically a lot of people, including Yahoo Sports, said, okay, the Clippers are out. And I believe Jalen Rose even said that he was yeah. 99% sure the Raptors were going to re-sign Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, that he did. And he's usually on the money with these free agency predictions. Well, that 1% definitely, uh, yeah, it definitely overtook affected the, the 99. the 99. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And he was... Everyone was just like, wow, you know, because Jalen Rose is wrong. And then and then Jerry West goes, okay, we know you don't want to sign here because obviously Kawhi didn't want to be alone. He wanted to be in a co-star because now it's a co-star league. Pretty much every single team has two very good players. Not Well, every single contending team, I'll say, has two very good players. And then Jerry West goes, okay, well, I'm going to get Paul George, a guy that wants to come to L.A. He's an L.A. hometown guy, and I'll pair you up with him. And he said, let's do it. And I was shook for about 15 minutes by the sink, just sitting there. I was just very impressed with how Kawhi Leonard basically recruited Paul George to the Clippers because he had the meeting with the Lakers. I was reading something that said he moved the meeting with the Lakers multiple places. And then he met with Paul George right after and said, yo, you want to go team up on the Clippers and Paul George request, requested a trade right away from OKC. OKC didn't want to deal with problems like Jimmy Butler had with Minnesota and that kind of thing. And I think the return the Thunder got was pretty solid. Now the only question mark is going to be where does Russell West, Westbrook go? Where do you think Russell Westbrook is going to go? Because right now it's looking like the Heat are interested in trading for him. And Russell Westbrook's openly said that he – doesn't mind being traded from the Thunder at this point. I mean, I think all, all signs are saying he's going to go to Miami. It makes sense. Miami's got the assets. They know what they're doing. They obviously have one of, you know, I think other than Jerry West, probably the best front office guy in Pat Riley. He's pretty much a wizard at this point. So I, th- I think the Heat can definitely end up with him. I don't know what they're going to give up. They might have to give up Justice Winslow, you know, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero. Obviously, they're not going to give up Jimmy. They can't give up Jimmy in another, I think, 90 days is the rule. But I think I think the Heat end up with them. They got the picks, you know, there. They have a lot of assets. And I think they're one team that isn't afraid of going after Russell Westbrook. Now, you alluded to this a little earlier, but the NBA now kind of changing the landscape from super teams where you have three, four all-stars to now – just dynamic duos and trios in the league and the league seems pretty balanced right now like there's no clear favorite to win the championship and I just think this goes back to three years ago when Kevin Durant made his decision to sign with Golden State I think Kevin Durant could have made the league a lot more balanced if he went to somewhere in the Eastern Conference but now it's finally happened and the Warriors <clears throat> dynasty is slowing down a little bit but 
What do you think of this new look NBA? I mean, I like it. I think we finally don't know who's going to win the championship. Obviously, the Clippers are the favorites because they just got Kawhi and Paul George and potentially one of the best benches in the league. Obviously, they got rid of Danilo Gallinari, who was one of their, their main guys that's scoring around 15 points per game. And as you said, Chad Gilgis-Alexander, who's you know one of the best rising point guards in the league, maybe behind De'Aaron Fox and maybe Lonzo Ball. But I think you know balance in the league is good. It's very great for the NBA because nobody knows who's going to make the finals. Nobody knows who's going to make the, the conference finals. You know, nobody's a lock. And I think that's where the NBA is at best. I'm just looking at all the teams in the NBA right now. And more than half of them have a legit shot to make a deep run in the playoffs. Because you have the Lakers with LeBron and AD, the Clippers with Kawhi, Paul George. But then you have these younger teams like the Pelicans, who I think who I thought a few weeks ago were a top-five team in the NBA. That might be a little different now, but they have Zion and a bunch of other dudes like Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram who are on the rise. The Jazz have Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. The Blazers traded for Hassan Whiteside to pair up with Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. And that's just in the Western Conference. Yeah, I think you know the Western Conference has a lot of stars. They got a lot of talent. And as you said, you know, your Pelicans point may be a little invalid now. They're still, just a I tad. Still, yeah, yeah, just a tad. And I, I love it because I think that, you know, in the, in the West, say that, you know, let's say the Kings make the playoffs. And let's say the Timberwolves make the playoffs. You know, that's not, that's not a big shock because it's just so balanced. I think only two teams or maybe three teams that if they didn't make the playoffs, people would be shocked for the, are the, the three teams in California, Clippers, Lakers, and Golden State. I think those three, you know, now without injuries. Well, obviously injuries teams, are going to change a lot of things. Yeah. They're one yeah, of the most unpredictable healthy. things. Right, right. But obviously fully healthy, I think those three teams are the only potential preseason locks in the playoffs. Obviously not having seen them play. I could be totally wrong, but roster-wise, I think those three are the only locks where I'd be surprised if they didn't make the playoffs. All right. So now we gave our initial reactions on free agency. Why don't you say we bring back a little North Pole, South Pole to our winners and losers of free agency, Tyler? All right, let's do it. All right, we're bringing back North Pole and South Pole from the first episode. If you don't know how it works, our North Pole is going to be our winners of free agency in the South Pole, the losers of free agency. So, Tyler, why don't you start off with your North Pole and South Pole? All right, so starting off with the North Pole, I'm going to go with the rivalry in L.A. It's back, finally, back in Staples Center. You got the Clippers with Kawhi and Paul George. You got the Lakers with LeBron and A.D. Both teams actually have depth. I was shocked when I heard the Lakers signed, you know, DeMarcus Cousins, Kateus Caldwell-Pope. Now they got Avery Bradley, Danny Green, Troy Daniels is a great shooter off the bench. And Jared Dudley, obviously, I don't like him. I don't think he's going to play a lot, but that's relevant. You know, they got a decent, a very good eight, nine-man rotation and potentially have Kyle Korver, Andre Iguodala, Mike come depending on what the Grizzlies do and the Suns do with, with those two. And I think the Clippers obviously are one of the deepest teams in the league. I said that last episode. They lost two very great role players and pieces to their bench. 
but obviously I think they made it up with Kawhi and Paul George, no doubt. So I think that, you know, the rivalry is back. I think those two teams now solidified rosters all made up are, I think they're the two favorites in the West. You know, you could argue that maybe the Jazz are the favorite, maybe the Nuggets, maybe the Warriors. But I think all said and done, I think, you know, those two duos are probably the best two duos in the league now because, you know, you got the Lakers with two top seven players and then you have the Clippers with two definitely top ten players. I think Paul George is a top ten player. So, you know, I think this season it might be a Christmas Day game. We'll see how the NBA schedule pans out. But I definitely think those two are the favorites in the West and Staples Center is going to be erupt this season. Now, before you give us our South Pole, who are you going to play with in NBA 2K20? Are you going to play with the Lakers or the Clippers? Oh, no, I'm playing with the Lakers, uh, 100%. Because, one, LeBron is cheat code on NBA 2K. Huge, strong, fast, and 2K gives him an absurd three-point rating. And then you have Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins who can run the post. It's two big dudes. You got Danny Green as a shooter. Now you got Avery Bradley as a shooter. You got Troy Daniels as a shooter. You got Kuzma who can run. And honestly, the Clippers, you know, on 2K, I mean, defense isn't a huge thing in 2K. You don't you don't pick teams because they're great defensively. So I'm going to go with the Lakers on 2K, 100%. All right. Now, why don't you give us our South Pole? Here, here's my South Pole. I'm, I'm very disappointed because, you know, I'm looking at Arizona State. It's probably my top school. And the downtown Phoenix campus, obviously – you know, one of the closest teams there, about a 15, 10-minute drive, is the Phoenix Suns. So, you know, the next five years, I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, look forward to, you know, hopefully seeing the Suns have success because, you know, that'll be fun. So the season's over. Suns have the projected number two pick. And what do they do? They get the sixth pick. So I'm like, all right, not bad. You know, you got Kobe White. He's a pretty decent point guard. He can t- kind of lead the tide. And what do the Suns do? They trade down to number 11, get Dario Saric, who is not an exciting player. He's a, he's a decent role player, an average starter. And they get Cameron Johnson. Cameron Johnson. A pretty good player, pretty good shooter. If not, I think the second best shooter in the draft, obviously next to Tyler Hero. And they took Cam Johnson with the 11th pick. He was projected to go 25 or 26 to the Portland Trailblazers, and he goes 11. So, you know, we'll see how this cat is. I don't know if he's – I don't – you know, at UNC, he was just a role – he was a good, decent, small forward from Pitt, obviously transferred there. But I don't know what they're doing. They picked up Ricky Rubio as their point guard. They're going to drop Kyle Korver as a shooter. So this year is going to be a down year for them. They better hope they get, you know, the first or second pick next year. Hopefully they can get Cole Anthony, who I love as a player at UNC. Hopefully he's going to ball out this season in the ACC. But I am just praying that they get a top pick next year because this season is going to be dreadful for the Phoenix Suns. They did a terrible job. I don't know what their idea was. Maybe they're trying to build the bench, but Devin Booker, another year in his career is going to be wasted. DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker are just going to sit in Phoenix alone with no help at all, and I project them to be one of the worst, if not the worst team in the Western Conference. All right, Tyler. So you're ready for this? So my North Pole, 
was actually on the other side of the globe last episode. It's going to be the Philadelphia 76ers, and here's why. So Jimmy Butler left in, basically left in free agency. He didn't want to re-sign with the Sixers. But you know what Elton Brand did? He got something for him. He got Josh Richardson. He got younger and a great defender, and he fills a position of need because J.J. Redick decided to go to New Orleans. You know why else the Sixers won free agency? Because Kawhi is not in the Eastern Conference anymore. Kawhi's gone. Four bounces, three-pointer, game seven, Kawhi. He's on the other side of the country now. And actually, you know what helped get Kawhi on the other side of the country was that trade for Tobias Harris because some of the picks that the Sixers sent the Clippers for Tobias Harris, Mike Scott, who also re-signed in Philadelphia, and Boban are now being shipped to OKC for Paul George, who helped get Kawhi to the Clippers. So that was a nice chain reaction there for the Sixers and Elton Brand. They got Al Horford, the Sixers did, who's a veteran presence in the locker room, probably a little bit better locker room guy than Jimmy Butler. He's a pro's pro, one of the only guys in the Eastern Conference who could shut Joel Embiid down, or at least get in his head. So he'll be a nice vet to look up to, him and Ben Simmons. (sighs) The playoff path is a lot easier with Kawhi going to the West and Kyrie just having the team to himself this year. And I've actually been watching the Summer League, and Matisse Thibel has really grown on me. I know I went off a little on him last episode, but Matisse could become a beast for the Sixers as well as Zaire Smith. But to cap it all off, this entire free agency for the Sixers, Elton Brand locked up. Joel Embiid's already been signed for the next four years. He locked up Tobias Harris for the next five years. And Ben Simmons is probably going to sign that rookie max contract five years. So the core of this team is locked up for the next four to five years. And they signed Al Horford to a four-year contract. So if everybody gets better just a little bit each year, they're still going to be a force to reckon with in the future. And people can go buy the Sixers jerseys now without the fear of them signing somewhere else or probably getting traded because the Sixers are keeping their core guys together and they're going to be a defensive monster in the East. All right, Rick, now you got your South Pole. What do you got? So my South Pole post-free agency is the entire Western Conference. And here's why. Because I can name at least 11 teams off the top of my head that are arguable playoff teams right now. And there's only eight spots in the postseason in the NBA. So it's really going to be a toss-up who comes out of that conference. Because now you have the Clippers with Kawhi and Paul George, the Lakers with LeBron and AD, the Nuggets who are just a great team all around, Jamal Murray, Nikolai Jokic, Michael Porter Jr. coming back. They drafted Bol Bol. The Warriors have Steph and D'Angelo Russell. They signed Clay to the max, but he's probably going to be out until the postseason, maybe the last month of the season. The Rockets bring back James Harden, who's won MVP the last one of the last three years. The Blazers locked up Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. The Jazz, who have been in the playoffs the last couple of years. The Pelicans got Zion. The Thunder right now, I don't know what's going on there in Oklahoma City. Russell probably be gone, but 
The Kings are on the rise with De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley. And I got to put my money on the Spurs, who have made the playoffs the last 22 years. Like, the Western Conference is going to be so competitive. And because it's so competitive, a lot of good teams are going to miss out on the playoffs and get stuck in the lottery. And what's that going to do for the Western Conference? Just make the teams even more better with the youthful players that the teams that barely miss out on the playoffs get through the draft. But, I mean, isn't that a good thing because you want, you know, competitiveness throughout a league? You do, but if you're in the Western Conference, pretty much all the teams are on the same playing level right now, and it's just going to be a toss-up. So I think they're the real losers of free agency because the Sixers, they had not, it's not going to be a cakewalk by any stretch, but it's definitely a lot easier for the Sixers looking at the Eastern Conference than it is for a team like the Nuggets or the Jazz looking at the Western Conference saying, man, how are we going to compete and try and get to a championship level this year with all these good teams? Because on any given night, any team can win. And in a seven-game series, especially with the, the way the NBA looks now with the duos, anybody could go off in a series. It's really anybody's conference at that point. Yeah, I mean, as you said, you know, the, the one versus eight game isn't really a given anymore because a very good team could get the eight seed in the West. Exactly. So that's my spiel on the Western Conference being the losers of free agency. They're my South Pole. But why don't we move on to the equator, Tyler? All right, now it's time for the equator, the hottest place on the earth, and also the hottest take of the episode. We're bringing it back. So, Tyler, my original equator was going to be that Russell Westbrook played his final game in the Thunder uniform. That was at 2.45 in the morning, right after Kawhi signed with the Clippers. Paul George got traded, and I just thought that the Thunder were going to tear it down. But now it's looking like more and more possibility, so I'm going to scrap that one. It's not really too hot anymore. And now I'm going to make it that the most valuable player, the rookie of the year, the most improved player, the coach of the year, the defensive player of the year, and the sixth man of the year are all going to come from the Western Conference. I just talked about how strong they are, and I think they're going to clean up at the end-of-season awards. So who do you got as your, you know, what are your end-of-season awards if you want to give them back to the public? Release your, so, so your it's, it's very, very early. But my MVP is Mr. Damian Lillard. Mr. Max contract in the city of Portland. I think rookie of the year is going to be John Morant in Memphis. Most improved, it's a toss-up because there's so many players that could be considered for the award and have a breakout season. But I think it's going to be one of the three young guards of either Lonzo Ball, De'Aaron Fox from Sacramento, or Shai Gilgis-Alexander, who might start for the Thunder if they trade Russell Westbrook. And then coach of the year, I have Doc Rivers of the Los Angeles Clippers. Kawhi's going to win defensive player of the year. And Kyle Kuzma on the Lakers is going to win sixth man of the year. Is that saying that the Western Conference is a lot better than the East? Or what's that saying? I just think that they're going to clean up. They're going to do a clean sweep of all the awards at the end of the season. So now that I gave my equator, how about yours, Tyler? All right, so at first, I was going to go to rant about why the Suns won't make the playoffs in the next five to ten years. 
But I'm over that. The Suns might get better, potentially, if they get Cole Anthony next year, pair him up with Devin Booker and DeAndre And Thought about that scenario. They'd be a very good team in three years. So, focusing on this year, my hot take, or rather, equator, is that the Indiana Pacers, as talented as they were, unfortunately, they lost Oladipo last season, make the Eastern Conference Finals, and if Victor Oladipo is the Black Panther that he was in the dunk contest, then he will move on and lead the Pacers to their first finals in a very, very long time. So you're saying Victor Oladipo is the savior in Indiana. Victor Oladipo is the savior in Indiana. And this year, they have a bench. You know, they got Malcolm Brogdon, who's a great pickup from the Bucks. Aaron Holiday is a great shooter off the bench. He's obviously a UCLA kid, one of the Holiday brothers. They got Jeremy Lamb now at shooting guard, who's a very great pickup, six foot five. He knows what he's doing from UConn. TJ Leaf's an okay player. TJ McConnell's a great hustle player. Obviously, we're going to miss him in Philly. You know, you got Victor Oladipo, the saver. DeMontis Sabonis isn't slowing down. He was great in the playoffs last year. Unfortunately, they lost Bogdan Bogdanovich. If they had him, I think my prediction would be a lot better. Obviously, he went to the Utah Jazz. And then you have Miles Turner and TJ Warren. So I think that roster is jam-packed. I think there's a lot of hustle, a lot of experience in that roster, and a lot of potential. You know, they, they could be the team that I'm saying they're going to be going to the Eastern Conference Finals, potentially make the finals if they're hot. But they can also be the team who loses in the first round of the playoffs. A very balanced team. They know what they're doing. And if they all get hot, they all follow the chemistry. Their team chemistry is rolling. They have a chance. But at the same time, they don't mesh. They don't do well in the playoffs. They could easily go out first round. But you're saying that they are going to put it together and make a championship run? Yes, I'm saying they're, they're going to put it together and make the Easter Conference Finals. You know, interesting fact about the Indiana Pacers. There's only three players in the NBA whose first name is TJ. And the Pacers have all They're three all of those Pacers. players. If you look at that. So maybe the TJs can lead them to the Larry O'Brien trophy in June. But we've got a long ways to go till then. So you're saying the Pacers are the team to beat in the East. I just want to make sure I'm hearing that right. Um, I don't say they're the team to beat. I'm saying that I think the Sixers are the team to beat. I think that they can make a run and they can surprise a lot of people. So like a dark horse kind of. Exactly. I think they're a very highly looked as dark horse. But they're, they're a boomer bust dark horse. I think if they get hot, they're not going to stop. But if, if they get cold, they're, they're, they're going to stop very fast. And I think they might get swept out of the first round if they become a low seed. They don't mesh early. And then say they become a six or seven seed because, you know, the East is pretty jam-packed now. I think the top four seeds are the Sixers, the Bucks. The Celtics are obviously reloaded. I think those are the top three seeds. And then, you know, beyond them, it kind of gets mixed up and you can mix them up in any way. All right. Well, you heard it here first. Hopefully. The Pacers, dark horse out of the Eastern Conference to make a finals run. And that's all the time we have, Mr. Tyler Conrad. I want to thank you again for joining us, Tyler. And uh, hopefully it's not the last time we're hearing from you. Oh, it's always been a pleasure. Our next guest on today's episode is a host of the college football show Inside the Zone, as well as a host of his own show, MLB Hot Stove. He also owns and operates the Phillies fan page at Phil's Country on Instagram. 
It's my pleasure to bring in John Pease to the podcast. Welcome in, John. Thank you, Rick. It's so great to uh, be here and sit back down and for the first time in really a while, get to talk some baseball. So, John, the first segment we're going to start off with today is, is the MLB trying to change the game too much? It's just around the All-Star break, and the All-Star voting changed up a little bit this year. The MLB going with a new format where there's a primary election where the top three vote-getters at each position move on to a starter's election. That is a 28-hour voting period to determine the starters of each position for the All-Star game, as opposed to in years past, it was just voting was done on one ballot by the fans, and the top nine were chosen as starters, and then they also selected a final spot. But, Pease, what do you think of this new voting method used by the MLB this year? Well, Ricky, to be honest, any time fan voting is brought into baseball, I hate it because when you bring in fan voting, you turn it vote all-star, the all-star game into a popularity contest rather than the actual all-stars in baseball. But just in terms of this system compared to last, I mean, to be honest, I just think it's been a big failure for the MLB. And I think that shows by looking at the guys who've made the all-star game and looking at the guys who haven't. Pease, you say it's like a popularity contest, but I'm looking at the rosters right now, and most of these players seem to be deserving of a starting spot. I mean, if it was really a popularity contest, we would have seen like a Bryce Harper maybe even getting a starting position, even JT Real Muto. I mean, what do you say to that? Well, just look at third base. That's really one of the big ones for me, Ricky. You got Nolan Arenado starting at third base. So let's 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 do some research into that, Ricky, if we will, and Let's see if actually Nolan Arenado deserves to start because the guy I'm looking at, Ricky, that deserves to start because the system wasn't even voted into the top three in the National League and didn't even advance out of fan voting to have a chance to start, which is absolutely ridiculous. And that's Anthony Rendon. Anthony Rendon is almost undoubtedly having a better season than Nolan Arenado. And it just shows by the statistics. I mean, really, the only thing that Nolan Arenado leads Rendon in is your defensive stats and your batting average. And we know def- defense is overrated in baseball. So batting and batting average, too, completely useless stat, which Arenado also barely leads in. So, I mean, you look at the stats that actually matter. You got your on-base percentage. Rendon leads that one 398 to 384. Slugging percentage, Rendon leads that one 630 to uh, 581. And OPS, Rendon is over 1,000, while Arenado's is in the, six, the 900s. And then OPS plus, and Rendon blows him out of the water there, too. So... I think that especially when you look at that, you're deserving starter for the NL first third base for the NL All Star team. He didn't even advance through fan voting, so I just think that kind of goes to show that the system is just a joke and it it's terrible. But how do you think the old system would have fixed something like that, putting Anthony Rendon over Nolan Arenado, because the top nine players at each position still would have been starters. It just didn't narrow it down in years past. Well, in my opinion, fan voting just shouldn't be a thing. We should just remove, completely remove fan voting from the MLB All-Star game because just, I think it takes away from the integrity of the All-Star game. And, I mean, when you look, when you get to the end of your career, Rick, one of the big things that determines Hall of Famers is All-Star game appearances. And, I mean, the Phillies, when they signed Bryce Harper, one of the big things was he was, what, a five- or six-time All-Star. So, I mean, I just think that, if you're going to have fan voting in and you're going to have things like this occurring, then it's just completely not fair at all to really have all-star vote, all-star game appearances mean anything for your career. Because I mean, 
the best players aren't making the All-Star game. But then how do you keep the fans engaged in something like the All-Star game where it has no meaning anymore? They took away the rule where the winner of the All-Star game, that league has home field advantage in the World Series. I mean, this new system that the MLB created had a 46% increase of mentions of the All-Star game on Twitter just over the past month. And it's really increased fan activity within the sport. And a bunch of teams on social media have been lobbying for their players to be selected in different campaigns and things like that. So how do you expect to keep the fans engaged in the sport when people are slowly drifting away from it? Ricky, to be honest, I mean, the All-Star game, I think it would have more fan engagement if you're actually, you turn on the game, you're seeing the best players in the world out there competing. I mean, like you're putting these players out in the All-Star game that just aren't going to succeed. I mean, literally, you look at it, Alberto Almora Jr. made it past fan voting from the Chicago Cubs. That just shows Chicago Cubs one of those fan bases that seem to get all their players into the game. Ricky, Almora Jr. is a below-average player. Like, it's just a joke. I mean, there's no integrity in the All-Star game anymore. So that's where you have to make the decision. Would you rather have more fan interaction with it, or would you rather actually have integrity to the All-Star game? Because, I mean... I'd rather have integrity in the all-star game. I just think that if you want to use all-star game appearances as something to uh, weigh a career on or weigh a player on, then you can't use fan voting. And if you're going to use fan voting, then the all-star game, just it has no meaning. I mean, the all-star game does matter for your career outlook. It does, but in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. No, but it does. Anthony but- Rendon, who's going to be facing potential chance at the Hall of Fame at the end of his career... He should have about four – he should have at least four all-star appearances. Instead, this is his first one, and that's going to kill him when he's trying to get to the Hall of Fame. But the players who are going to be first ballot Hall of Famers are going to get into the Hall of Fame – or they're going to get into the all-star game regardless. And that's just not true. Yes, it just is. Ricky, Anthony Rendon hit 308, 374, 535 with a 909 OPS last year and wasn't an all-star. 138 OPS plus. Do you know how good those numbers are? That's great. Those are Hall of you Fame can, numbers. You can rattle off all the numbers you want, but when it comes to the end of the day and they're choosing between Anthony Rendon and Nolan Arenado to go into the Hall of Fame, they're going to pick Arenado. Because Arenado's more popular. Because he's an amazing baseball player. Actually, he's not. Nolan Arnott is one of the most overrated players in our game. Really? Yeah, look at his just look at his home and road splits. Look at his career stats at cores versus on the road, and it shows you everything you need to know. What about his defensive stats? He's one of defense the best. Is defense is overrated in baseball. Defense is overrated? Yes. Defense in baseball is overrated. Why is defense in baseball and overrated? It. Defensive season last year wasn't even that good. Five defensive runs saved. Whoop-de-doo. With a 9.67 fielding percentage. A 9.67 fielding percentage. That's horrible. 14 errors last season at third base. How many games did he play? Uh, How many balls were hit to him? He played 152 games. He fielded 96% of the balls hit to him. That's low. 96%? I mean, it's, it's not that bad. It's like, yeah, that's not that great. Not to mention all the balls that he made. He turned base hits practically into outs. Back to the All-Star game. I just don't know, Pease. I mean, the fans, I don't really think they care about the integrity of the game at this point. I, I do. Think, I don't think the MLB does either because 
they're just trying to keep fans interested in the sport of baseball, whether it's speeding up the pace of play, keeping them engaged in all-star voting, keeping them engaged in the home run derby, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But I just don't think integrity of the game is that important anymore. Then you can't use all-star appearances as something to an evaluate a player. But I think if they're that good of a player, they'll still be included. That's not true. As the reserves, because Ricky, that's where the why coaches. Anthony Rendon did not make the All Star team last year, hitting 308, 374 with a 909 OPS. So that's not true. Just because Anthony Rendon might be a slight exception to the rule, that's the fault of all the coaches and the everybody else that one? has an input after the starters are chosen. Ricky, it's a joke. The All Star system's a joke. Every other Good major sport has fan voting. The All Star Game. Okay, there are a lot of good players in baseball, but there's only a few All Stars who are over that hump. And Anthony Rendon's better than almost every single All Star to have made third base position last year. Who made third base last year in the All Star Game? Piece starter was Nolan Arenado, uh, Eugenio Suarez. They only had one third base reserve last year on the All-Star team, Ricky. And you want to know why they didn't have two? Because they took three catchers, Yachty, Buster Posey, and JT Realmuto. I guarantee you Anthony Rendon was better than both Yachty or Molina and Buster Posey and JT Realmuto. So they easily should not have had three catchers. One of those guys, the worst of three, should have been cut. And Anthony Rendon should have made the team. It's that simple. Buster Posey hit 284, 359 with a 741 OPS last year, right around average. Average player, not an all-star. But did the Giants have any other representative in the all-star game, or was he their best option? You're also saying Anthony Rendon should be an all-star, but the Nationals also had, like, Max Scherzer. Ryan Zimmerman's been an all-star a couple times. Daniel Murphy they had. Daniel Murphy was an all-star last year. He started in the all-star game in 2017. Not 2018. Still, I'm talking about in years past. Like they, the Nationals have had a lot of All Stars on their roster, so that chance becomes a lot smaller being picked for the reserves if you're not then voted every by the team fans. Doesn't deserve an All Star. Rick, you think there's a deserving All Star on the Baltimore Orioles? Actually, Trey Mancini's not that. Trey Mancini's close, but he's, I don't think he even made it. But there's not. There's not even a deserving All Star on the Phillies. I would beg to differ with that, but there's not. I mean, JT, JT's not the best even... catcher in the baseball. In baseball, how can you say that? How he's the best defensive catcher by far, Ricky. This is the first his first good defensive season in his career, and also Yadier Molina exists. Yadier Molina might exist, but he's also very, very old. And then that goes yeah, back to your he's point 36 about thirty-six years old, and he's still dominating. Probably insane, but it's also a popularity contest piece. They're going to go with the Hall of Fame catcher. Let's see. JT Real Muto. Let's just let's try and check him out. 2018, negative seven defensive runs saved. 2019, he's going off defensively. And wow. honestly, honestly, Andrew McCutcheon. Wow, JT Real Muto may have the best defensive season of all time as a catcher this year. Yeah, thank you. But defense is overrated, so I can't really care. Oh, my God. That is, that's <laughs> actually insane. Oh, my God. He has 10 defensive runs saved already as a catcher. Oh, man. Dude, Jeez. Ricky actually said something right. How well, about I mean, that? Well, I mean, I was right. The rest of his career defense is terrible. 
How, negative how 13. How long has he been in the league for? Since 2014. 2014? Four or five years? Playing on the Marlins? This is an outlier year. An outlier year or a trend in the right direction? An outlier year. I hope it's a trend in the right direction. That's all I'm saying. Oh, and then also, to compensate for that, his offense has been horrible. Piss poor. Well, the Phillies just in general have been awful yeah, the offensively. 750 OPS. The Phillies traded their top prospect for a 750 OPS and a 93 OPS plus. That's horrible. Give me back six, though. Would you rather have that or Alfaro? Alfaro. Would I rather have? Hold on. Would I rather have Alfaro and Sixto or JT? Give me Alfaro and Sixto every day of the week. I said it in uh, as you can what, remember. What is Sixto doing right now in the MLB? What is he doing right he's now a, in the MLB? He's in the minor. He's a minor league prospect. He's a minor league prospect. So what is he doing in the MLB? He's not in the MLB, Ricky. That's the point of a prospect. So like he's, he's not, not having an impact on the Phillies immediately right now when they're trying Ricky, to win. The Phillies aren't a win now team. So you still need prospects like Cisco Sanchez. They're going to be potentially ready by the end of next season to come in and fill the biggest void in this team in the starting pitching. Back to the All-Star game. <laughs> <laughs> that was an interesting tangent. Yeah, Ricky, so my point is that while fan voting is nice for having more fan interaction and getting more people involved with the voting process and stuff, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to deny that it brings in more interest to the game and kind of people like to vote. The problem is people are voting for the, their favorite players instead of the players that actually deserve it. And what that does, Ricky, is it just takes all integrity away from people. When you look at the end of their career and you look at their all-star appearances, there's no integrity left in that because their all-star appearances just don't matter anymore because they don't actually deserve to be in the all-star game. And guys that do have fewer than all-star appearances than they actually do deserve because they're not getting in because they're not the most popular. And that's why it's a problem. And the All-Star game isn't featuring the best players in the world like it's supposed to be. I see what you mean, Pease. I just don't think the MLB is going to change that anytime well, in the near future. because I don't see the MLB changing it either. What I'm saying is they should change it. Either they should change it or the Hall of Fame voters should at least take it into recognition when they're casting their ballots. But moving on, we're going to talk about the Home Run Derby that changed its format in 2015 going from the 10 outs unlimited wow, it's been time. That long. Yes. 2015. Like We're in 2019. 4 years, 4 or 5 derbies. But anyway, they went from a 10 out unlimited time format to now where the hitters have 4 minutes to hit. It's a bracket style where the hitters have one timeout and get bonus time if they hit two dingers over 440 feet. I mean, obviously, pace of play and time was a huge factor in this decision. But, Pease, what do you think of the new format in the Home Run Derby? Well, Ricky, personally, I love the Home Run Derby format. And I think that this change was one of the good things to the Home Run Derby. I think it makes it a lot more entertaining, enjoyable. I mean, I just think that sitting down and watching the Home Run Derby and watching two guys compete against each other every round instead of just, like, everyone hitting in the highest go on, I just think it makes it that much more entertaining and it strikes that much more competition. I just know last year being able to watch Reese Hoskins in it, I had a ton of fun watching. So I think the time limit, what it does is it makes it more stressful and I'd rather have to know my guy's got 30 seconds to hit two home runs than know my guy's got three outs left to hit two home runs. I just think it makes it that much more exciting and a lot more adrenaline rushing to pick up the pace and it kind of makes it 
more like one of those faster paced games. Yeah, Pease. And some people might think that it takes away from the number of home runs that are hit, but actually home runs list all time, the top five, Todd Frazier in 2016, Bryce Harper in 2018, Aaron Judge in 2017, Schwarber in 2018, and the top guy, Giancarlo Stanton in 2016 with 61 single derby home runs in this new format. So there's definitely no shortage of dingers in the home run derby. And actually, I think they're increasing with the new format because players are having to speed up the process. Yes, it does take away some of the showmanship sitting and admiring how far you hit a home run, but I think people prefer quantity over quality of home runs at this point. Well, yeah, and I just think that I just think I think it's a lot more quality, honestly. Just watching it, I think it's so much more entertaining knowing that my guys they're they're working at a pace, trying to go quickly to hit out as many as they can, rather than just standing there around and knowing they got ten outs to work. I just think it's a lot more exciting. And for MLB, I think this is one of the best changes they've made. All right, we're in agreement. New home run derby in old home run derby. We can keep that one in the past. <laughs> All right, so our next and final segment for this episode is P's at the All-Star break right now. What is the biggest shock in the MLB for you? What is the biggest surprising player, team, stat, anything like that? I think for me, I mean, I'm going to stick with the team here, and I think there's a lot of ways you could look around. I mean, obviously, the Minnesota Twins, who saw them coming out and being 23 games above 500 right now? I know I certainly didn't, but... Even more so, I just want to talk about the Texas Rangers because, for me, Ricky, they're a team that when I saw coming into this year, I thought they're going to be for sure sellers. A lot of Phillies could maybe trade for Mike Miner and that the Rangers would be maybe a 70-win team at max. But, Rick, so far they're out here with a 46-38 and 38 record, which is better than the Phillies. So, you know they're doing something right down there in Texas. And I just think that the way they've come out this season and they've performed so above expectations and – I just don't think anyone around baseball at all predicted them to be in the wild card race. And if the season ended today, in fact, they'd be the second wild card team. So I think that's really impressive from the Texas Rangers that a team without much payroll, a team without really a young core, any star players, I mean, to come out here and the way they performed, they've got Joey Gallo playing like one of the best players in baseball right now, Mike Miner, one of the best pitchers. So for the Texas Rangers, I just think that their player development coming into the season has been really good. And I just, I don't think anyone at all predicted this outburst that could put them into the all, the uh, MLB playoffs. Yeah, and I think that American League wildcard race, if things stay pretty much the way they are with the Yankees and the Astros and the Twins staying atop their divisions, the AL wildcard has four teams right now, all pretty much tied at the top. The Indians and the Athletics are a half game behind the Rangers and the Rays. And then the Red Sox just two games back there. So it's definitely going to be something interesting to watch as the season winds down. But he's my biggest shock in the MLB at the All-Star break. July 1st, Bobby Bonilla Day just passed this week. And he is earning more salary this year, which is $1.19 million. He's earning more salary this year than 21 players on the all-star team. Wow. Some of the guys, just because I have the list right here, Pete Alonso from the Mets, 
David Dahl from the Rockies, Walker Bueller from the Dodgers, Matt Chapman, the starting third baseman, Cody Bellinger, Joey Gallo, as you just mentioned, playing at a high level for the Rangers, Alex Bregman, Gary Sanchez, Wilson Contreras, Josh Hader, Whit Merrifield, Ronald Acuna Jr. I mean, Bobby Bonilla is sitting on the couch watching these games. He's still making more money than all those guys. Look, I know a lot of people are going to say, like, wow, that's really messed up. And, I mean, it's a tough, but, like, honestly, the system the way it is is good, Ricky. And I know that it's hard to believe that just because of the way it's going and how many guys that are actually elite aren't getting paid. But, like, if you actually consider how many draft picks there are in the MLB and how many players we know just by looking at the Phillies organization, how many of those players aren't going to pan out. If you had to pay these guys significant money before there's the end of their, uh, before they reach arbitration, which is uh, what year four, I mean, it would just be unfair because then you'd have to give out so much money to guys that aren't going to pan out. So by the way, the system works, it makes guys play well before they earn their paychecks. And I mean, for me, I think it's a fair system. I just think that, yeah, I mean, it's a shame for those guys, but, I definitely think it's still the right system. Out of some of those guys that I just mentioned, Pease, who do you think is going to get the biggest paycheck? And do you think they're going to get more money than Mike Trout got this past offseason? I don't think anyone deserves anywhere near as much money as Mike Trout got this offseason. I mean, no one's remotely close to it. But out of these guys, I mean, out of those guys you said, at least, I don't know that any of them are going to get paid. I mean, Ronald Acuna, though, Ricky, I mean, you forgot that he signed that contract extension. So he's making a little bit more. He's making more than that now because he signed that uh, 10-year contract extension, if you remember. But like, So he already got paid. Not much, but I'm not sure why he agreed I think to he's it. still making a million this year, and then it's going to kick ah, in gotcha, a little gotcha. later. That's what's going to happen with Acuna. But mm, not even Cody Bellinger. I mean, he's having a ridiculous season for the Dodgers. If he keeps up that style of play, do you think – you could see him surpassing Trout. I don't think anyone ever should surpass Trout just because the reason Mike Trout got paid so much is he does the same thing Ricky, every single year. And he comes out year in and year out, puts up his, what, 1,000 OPS and all these ridiculous numbers. So, And Mike Trout's already on pace to have the greatest war wins above replacement of all time. So, no, I don't think anyone realistically should get that. And I just think another point to prove that is just look at Cody Bellinger's season last year. He hit 260 with a 343 on base and an 814 OPS, which is, I mean, that's still a very good season, but it's just, it's nowhere near to what he's done this year. So I just don't think Cody Bellinger has the track record to but earn I mean, if, that big of a salary. Plus, we know the Dodgers like to go short term contracts instead of long term. All right, Pease. Thank you for joining us on this episode. Make sure you check out John Pease's Instagram account at Phil's Country the best Phillies fan page, some great graphics, some great content, and a a whole lot of rants, especially when they lose, right? Yes, sir. But, hey, trust the bamboo. Thanks for joining us, Peas. No problem. Thank you for having me. So that is our show. We want to thank everyone for tuning in. We will try to put out another episode next weekend, so make sure you are on the lookout for that. But that pretty much wraps up episode number two. Just remember that the Earth is in fact a ball.